first part, we're going to deal with what is the kind of the background, the, the biblical background to sex, God's plan, the devil's plan. So we're going to deal with the, those two elements. In the second presentation, we particularly are going to deal with how to relate to same-sex attraction and to homosexuality. In the third presentation, we will deal with the question of sexual addictions, um, how you can help a friend who perhaps is sexually addicted. We're going to deal with how to take the first presentation and second presentation and deal with the practical implications. How do you live out your sexuality so that you live a life of love instead of a life of lust? And so that's, those are our three plans through these seminars, and we hope uh, that you will stick with us through this process. I think I'm going to go ahead and, and start, and uh, then we'll begin with prayer. Welcome. And then if you have any questions right at the end, of our three seminars, we are going to have a Q&A. We have three people who will be giving their testimonies in the second seminar. They're going to stick around for the third seminar, and we'll have a time for Q&A, and we will try and make some Q&A time at the end of each seminar. So if you have specific questions, just hang on. I know you may not want to ask questions publicly, so if you want to write something down, if uh, you've got a piece of paper, otherwise, if you're brave enough, just raise your hand. We'll take a few questions at the end. Let's begin with prayer. Father God, we thank you that you invented sex. And so help us to know how to relate to the sensitive topic that many of us have run away from. We've chosen not to deal with because it's such a challenging area. And yet, God, we believe you do have a plan. So be with us now as we, as we relate to the best and the worst, and help us to see your involvement. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to do, my wife and I are both going to do this because my voice has been going out a little, so she has kindly stepped in to share some of the principles. Come on in, guys. And so you can see our topic is water lily white in a sewer pond world. So I thought we'd just start a little fun. You know, God made different sexes, right? So there was a uh, little experiment done when a lady was teaching French and she was saying, you know, some words in French are masculine and some are feminine, you know, la maison, the house. And so she was describing that, you know, some is male, some is female and going through it. And somebody raised their hand and said, well, what gender is a computer? So instead of giving the answer, she decided to split them into two. And the men worked on that question, and the woman worked on the question, is male, female, is a computer male or female? And this is what they came up with. The men, of course, said a computer is female. Why? They said it's not le computer, but la computer, because no one but the Creator understands their internal logic. <laughs> the native language they use to communicate with others' computers is incomprehensible to anyone else. <laughs> Even the smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later review. <laughs> and as soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half your salary for accessories for it. Wow. So I said it's definitely female. Of course, the woman came back and said, that's not true. We have decided that woman, uh, that the computer is not a woman, but it's masculine, it's male. Why? In order to do anything with them, you have to turn them on. So it should be turned there. 
do they have a lot of data but they still can't think for themselves? <laughs> Three, they are supposed to solve problems but half the time they are the problem. Notice that tends to occur more at some times than others. Number four, as soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you had waited a little longer, you could have gotten a better model. <laughs> so, God did make us sexual. And so we want to suggest that God invented sex. He had a plan by making us sexual. He could have made us all one sex, couldn't He? Wasn't that a possibility? Hey, let's make them all, uh, you know, not male or female, but it. That's what they'll be. They'll be neutered. <laughs> That's what they're going to be. Just make them one. And there's some species in nature like this. They're not male or female. So why did God create sex? What was His intention? Wouldn't life have been much easier, we seem to think, without it being sexual? Particularly when you're, when you're single. It sometimes would be easier not to have to worry about this. So why did God invent sex? What was His purpose? Anyone want to give me some feedback? Why did God invent sex? It's a seminar. Yes? To multiply reproduction. Because the earth was barren, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Okay? But if that's the case, then if that was the only reason, what would be your conclusion? Don't have it unless you want to have kids. Now, we've already had three kids, so that would mean the end of our sexual lives. So there must be more, right? <laughs> so men and women can become one, and God can use So men and women can become one. All right, good. Yes. For enjoyment. For enjoyment, for pleasure. Yeah, I've, I think you've all come up with good things. God made sex for pleasure. Everyone agree? Yeah. He even created it so that it would be pleasurable the way He created the organs. were specifically designed so that they would create pleasure. He created it for intimacy, to bring people close together, for love, a sharing of love. That's why even in today's culture people talk about making love when they're referring to sex. God made sex for unity. Now, of course, in today's world we tend to focus on what? The pleasure, you know, how pleasurable it is. But these are also important. Intimacy, love, unity. But I believe there's more. There's more than this. And, or wait for this, because this is really exciting. How did God create sex? He made the male and female, and He said that both of them, male and female, reflect His what? Image. His what? Image. You mean God is sexual? Somehow, God cannot be adequately represented by just male or female. He needs both. And what happens, that interplay between two different beings with their unique, different ways of relating, is how God wants to reflect Himself. He didn't feel like He could reflect Himself by just being male or female. He felt like he had to reflect himself in that dynamic interchange between the two species. And, and uh, species, I shouldn't say that, between the two genders. <laughs> but they are quite different at times. Uh, some people say, you know, uh, men are like clams and women are like crowbars. Because men don't talk a lot and women attempt to get them to talk. Others have said, men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Why? Because... 
men have their boxes and they live in their box and that box is the only thing you deal with at that time and women are more like spaghetti because have you ever tried to follow a piece of spaghetti? It touches every other piece of spaghetti. And so when you're having conversations, you know, the man is in his box and we're going to deal with this and I'm going to solve the problem in this box. And the woman is talking about stuff that he doesn't know how it came up. Like, how did Jane come into that conversation? And what does that have to do with Mary? And how did we end up talking about the grocery bill? And he doesn't understand. But the spaghetti, everything is related and connected. So when we deal with this, we realize that God is intending to teach us something. He is saying who I am is both male and female, and sexuality expresses how unity can come from diversity. Can you say amen if you understand that? Sex is also a reflection of God's intended relationship with us. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the mystery of Christ and the church, and it deals with it with the mystery of male and female, husband and wife. So what God wanted was He wanted us to have a relationship with Him like a man and a woman have a relationship with each other. In fact, the word Adam knew Eve, you've heard of that? Mm -hmm. You know what new means? It means they had sexual relations. That word for know, yada, in the Hebrew is the same word to describe our knowledge of God. Just as a man gets to know a woman in this deep, intimate sense, God's plan was that we would get to know Him in that deep, intimate sense. So when you think of a theology of sex, you're really thinking about how God calls us into this deep, powerful relationship with Him. The devil's plan, he realizes that something that has so much potential for good is also something that he needs to challenge. And so we find that he's attacking it. His plan is to pervert sex from love to lust. To pervert sex from unselfish ministry to making it revolve around me. To turn something that was very intimate and private and make it public. To turn something that God had grand plans that was lily white and pure and that would bring people together and instead to pervert it so that it happens with any stranger. Are you following me? The devil has a plan and it's everywhere. I mean, you don't realize the subliminal messages that are going out. Any of you seen this? Nice pretty flowers, right? But there's something going on right here. Do you see it? S-E-X. And in our world today, what's happening is that... (laughs) What's happening is that we think some things are just pretty and the devil has a plan to introduce sex and to just slide it in with his agenda. That's what we're going to be talking about. It's everywhere. Skittles. What could be harmless with Skittles? But notice here. Explosion, very explosion, but the Skittle ends up there. Now this one's a little harder to see. This is Pepsi, but there's a design here, S-E-X. Subliminal messaging is going on all around us because the devil has a plan, and we are now being saturated with sexuality according to the devil's agenda, and it's time that the church fights back. It's time we begin to say, we got to talk about sex so that it's not all in the devil's courtyard. So my wife's going to come up and share with you the two parts of God's plan and the devil's plan. And we're just going to have to change, change out Audioverse here. Yeah? Thank you to Audioverse. We appreciate our sponsors. <laughs>
Thank you, love. Hello, everybody. Hello. I can walk around behind you. Yeah. Very <laughs> the two are one, right? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> Thanks, love. All right. Um, what my husband's been sharing with you is so important. Sorry, that was my story. Um, that's you your, <laughs> your story. All right. Um, for so many reasons, you know, when what I live in as a culture of womanhood is very different from what he lives in as a, in a culture of manhood. You know, sometimes my husband will come home from class and say, oh man, I wish somebody would do something about the way these girls dress when they come to class. And you know, I'm so grateful that I'm married to a godly man that I don't wonder where his eyes wander. But I know he's I had times that <laughs> just <laughs> But I know he has times that he's had to sit down with somebody and say, you know, someday if you continue dressing the way that you're dressing, something is going to happen to you with the men that you associate with because they're going to take you for a certain kind of woman, they're going to treat you in a certain kind of way. And he says, I don't want to be the guy who didn't warn you about that. Mm. I praise God that I'm married to a man that I can trust because I have so many friends who aren't who know that their husband's eyes wander, if not more. You don't want to train yourself to live like that. Not right now, not ever. And that's why we're dealing with this topic, because it's time for us to deal with it. We, ha we can't just keep on pretending like it's not there when the world is so blatant about it. You know, I've, I've just been dealing with a lot of uh, people, you know, for the last um, week or so, I've been dealing with a girl who is probably pregnant. Last night I spent hours pleading with her not to abort this baby. You don't want to live a life like that. How do you end up there? You know, she and so many others have said, I was a good girl, how did I end up here? It's step by step. What we think about becomes what we act upon. I myself would have liked to have said I was a good girl, but you know, when I gave my life to Christ, I was 16, about the time I turned 17, and I was going to this self-supporting, conservative, super Christian school where everybody around me sang scripture songs and dressed in modest clothes and all that. And I felt like a very black angel that had fallen into a very white group of angels. And I did not want anybody to know just how dark and impure I was. Because you know, just the way that I saw guys treating the girls in this kind of culture, I realized this is so foreign to me. I remember when one of the guys opened the door for me and, you know, we were just going to walk in the building, and I said, no, I'm not walking through that door. And he said, why not? Of course you're going to walk through this door. And I said, uh-uh, I'm going to step halfway through that door, and you're going to slam it on me. And he said, no, I'm not. I wouldn't do that. And I said, yes, you are. I know how guys are. And he said, I am standing here, and I'm holding this door until you go through it. And finally, I made a leap through the door, and he, of course, was not intending to slam it on me. And I was like, whoa, that's different. You know, but not only that, the guys didn't make sexual remarks. They didn't try to feel me in ways they shouldn't. You know, it was just such a different world. And I discovered that the ways that I had gotten attention from men before, the clothes that I wore, I, I wasn't trying to get them in bed with me, but I wore tight shirts, I wore short shorts, I wore things that I knew would make them pay attention to me. And I didn't realize what I was addicted to until all of a sudden those things were gone. All of a sudden, I wasn't allowed to dress that way. And now I realized I wasn't addicted to the clothes, but I was addicted to the attention because it made me feel loved. It made me feel worthwhile, made me feel attractive. And suddenly, I was forced to turn to God to find that sense of worth and lovability instead of to guys. 
I praise God for that wonderful experience, but it was a long time before I could really have a pure way of relating to guys. How, how do we view sexuality in impure ways? So many times, it's completely unconscious. It's been fed to us by the media. Anything you watch on TV, it has these sexual innuendos, or the way that they dress, the way that they look at each other. It, it's impure. How do we see sex as something pure? We live in a sewer pond. God can still make water lilies grow out of sewer ponds, can't he? I just want to share a little bit. More than 70% of men from 18 to 34 visit a pornographic site in a typical month. More than 70%. Those are men that you know. I would be a fool if I didn't think some of the men in this room are addicted to pornography. They want out. It's not a beautiful paradise. It seems so pleasurable at the beginning, but it becomes a prison. We're going to show you how to get free from that. Nine out of ten children between the ages of eight and sixteen have viewed pornography on the internet. The average age of first viewing pornography for boys is eight. For girls, it is eleven. Forty-seven percent of families said pornography is a problem in their home. And even worse than that, there are twenty-seven million sex slaves worldwide, two million of them children. Every 30 seconds, someone is victimized. The slave trade makes more than $32 billion a year. That's not a misprint. More than Walmart, Coke, and McDonald's combined. And at least one in four girls are sexually abused in America by the time they reach the age of 18. In reality, it's probably much higher than that, maybe one in two, because many of them don't report it or they forget about it. But the things that happen, this is, this is real. This is so ugly. You know. From my experience, having been a girl who was sexually abused, I was by, raped by my grandfather when I was very young, years before I even knew what sex was. Sex was not a beautiful thing to me. It was a shameful, ugly, detestable thing, and yet I was obsessed with it. I would think about it, I would read these filthy novels, but sex is not dirty. You didn't tell me you <laughs> it's Kelsey's fault. <laughs> My friend Kelsey and I were looking through this, we're like, isn't that just the greatest picture for that? <laughs> I knew my husband would kill me. <laughs> Sex is not dirty. It is a wonderful, beautiful gift from God. And we need to recognize it for what it is. This precious, wonderful thing. I thank God for sex now. There were years that I thought, why in the world would God invent something that can be so perverted and misused and can become such a burden in the world? But it's supposed to be a blessing. You know, you can use sex the wrong way, but God's way is so much better. You know, you can, you can use an iPad as a fly swatter, can't you? It might even make a good fly swatter. But it's not going to be long before the other stuff that the iPad was meant to do will be disabled. It won't work anymore, right? You can use sex as a tool to fulfill your own selfish desires. You can make it all about you, all about pleasure, all about lust. But it won't be long before you'll disable the great things that God wanted to do. And just like an iPad is so superior to a fly swatter, God's plan for sex is so beautiful that when you understand it, you see why he gave us a gift that could be so terribly misused, because it has so much beautiful potential. You know, God has created us to enjoy sex in a pure environment. Hmm. Can you fix that, love? Uh-oh. You can fix that. Um, 
sex is supposed to be something pure and rich and beautiful. And just imagine for a second, you know, when God was making the world, what was his plan for sex? I don't think you can really picture just how beautiful it was with our sinful minds. Yes, what were you going to say? It's certainly meant for procreation, I yes. Think, I think also, um, you know, we, according to I understand, we're the crowning head of God's creation. We were made in his image. And God has feelings, and I think that he wanted us to enjoy that experience. And this is the thrill, this is the feeling I had when I created you in my image. Mm -hmm. God has created sex to teach us about what it means to be in his image. Yes, it's for procreation. That's a very important and beautiful part of it. But if two people have sex outside of marriage and they find out they've created a baby, did they accomplish God's purpose in sex? Well, not exactly. God can use even our mistakes to make beautiful things. But God's plan for sex is to be something that teaches us about his love. And, you know, just think for a second. We're all grown-ups in here, right? Let me be really graphic. In sex... God has intended that two people understand what a relationship with him means as he represents Christ and we represent the church. A woman has to surrender herself to a man. When she's a virgin, it may even be painful. That's kind of scary. Am I going to give myself to somebody? And yet it may be a little bit painful, but it's this wonderful experience only when you have a beautiful relationship with that person. And God wants us to experience that with sex and help us to understand. When we surrender to Christ, it may be kind of scary. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, it was scary. I felt like I was stepping off of this cliff into this blackness. And there's a voice down there saying, don't worry, I'll catch you. I'm like, right, but I don't know you. And the only reason why I made that decision to surrender my life to Christ was because everything behind me was worthless. And I had decided, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to try the God thing. And if the God thing doesn't work out, I can always kill myself later. Let me just try the God thing. That's why I surrendered my life to Christ. And I never had to wonder. I never had to turn back. It was a wonderful experience. And knowing Christ and getting to know him more and more all the time is so beautiful. But just like sex, it can be scary to surrender ourselves to God, to let him continually go deeper and deeper in our lives, changing us into his image, making us one with him. God's plan for marriage and God's plan for sex is so beautiful. What would, what would marriage be like without sex? Have you ever thought about that? Two people walk down the aisle, get all dressed up, bring all their friends there, and they solemnly covenant before all the world that we, they will be roommates. <laughs> so death do them part. They will live in the same house no matter what. They will share the same bank account. They will go places together, and if one of them has a kid, the other one will have the same kid, and they'll raise them together and have to agree on everything. Who would do that? You guys, if you've had a roommate, you understand. <laughs> Sex is this miraculous, mystical experience that we totally can't really explain. How can something that would have been a sinful, shameful act an hour before the ceremony of marriage become this beautiful, holy, pure experience? after that ceremony. We can't understand that. How can it become holy just because two people make a verbal pledge to one another and say, I promise my life to you? This is a God thing. That something that would be shameful becomes a gift from God that's holy and pure and immeasurably beautiful. That's what God wants us to understand. 
when you see sex in the context of what God has really meant it to be, then you see how bad the world has messed up our view of it. You know, I've, I've used an allegory sometimes of a secret room that connects your house with the house of your best friend for life. It's this little underground room. Only the two of you will ever enter that room. No one else ever comes in there. You decorate it just the way the two of you want. It's your safe haven that the two of you go and get away from the world. Nobody else ever knows what's in that room. And you live in there. You spend your special time in there being close to each other. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Wouldn't you love to have something like that? But the world takes that secret room and makes it your front porch. And then, when you don't cooperate with the world's agenda, you don't make your secret room into your front porch, then all the other houses on your street, the secret room has become their front porch. It's all decorated, hung with beautiful things, their, their favorite colors, and every, every porch beckons. Look at my house. Think how beautiful this one is. Look what kind of secret room I have. Just think. But they don't even have a secret room anymore. Their secret room is gone. They've sacrificed it. They've given it to the whole world. It's not secret. It's become public. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that with sex. You don't want to do that with the, the actual act. And you don't want to do that with sex in your mind. You want to just get as far as you can from the impurity of the world. I don't mean you have to dress in a tent. I mean, when you see how beautiful God's plan for sex is, you see the world's plan for sex for what it is, this sad, defiling process of taking people who were supposed to be doing something loving and beautiful and turning it into something selfish. You can never make love outside of marriage. You can have sex outside of marriage, but it's two people using the other person because down inside they both know, I'm not doing what's best for this person. I'm doing what I want. I'm using this person to pleasure me. I'm doing wrong. Both of them know it. Both of them are doing something selfish to use the other person in order to get pleasure. Inside of marriage, unfortunately, it's often the same. Unfortunately, many people get married with the same mindset. Sex is all about me because they've been poisoned. They've been trained by the world to say, well, that's what it's supposed to be about, isn't it? God's plan is so much higher, so much more beautiful than that. God wants two people to be engaged in ministry to the other person. They're wanting to bring the other person pleasure. It's about love. It's about two people who want to be close to each other. You know, on the honeymoon, two people who are sexually inexperienced, they don't really know what they're doing. It's not this tremendous experience like what you see in Hollywood. They rip each other's clothes off and can't stop themselves. That's lust. That's so disgusting. And the world will tell you, oh, man, you just don't know what you're missing out on if you haven't tried sex. Then when you try it, like, wow, that wasn't all it was cracked up to be, was it? You ever notice how all these magazines in the store, they, they have all this, you know, three positions you've got to try with your boyfriend tonight, they'll drive him wild. You know, please, that's just disgusting. Why do they think they have to hype it up and make it sound so exciting? Because people's sex lives are not exciting. They have the lust, and it's really exciting and passionate, but then things cool down, things get you know, problematic because there's conflict, because they're not really loving each other, because both of them know down the back of their minds that the other person is using them, that this is a fundamentally selfish relationship. And so sex loses its beauty, and they start trying to recapture the glory, trying to get what they have in all the movies. How come it's not like that for us? That's why they're obsessed with trying to find some way to get more pleasure out of it. And all the time they're missing God's way that would have made it beautiful. 
how do we change from that way of seeing sex, this impure way that's just been poured into us from every media outlet? The Bible says there's a simple way of changing. I love how the Bible is simple. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face reflecting as a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. As you behold Christ, as you behold His plan, everything else will start melting away. The impurities will go away. When you feed yourself on junk food, that's what you become hungry for. When you feed yourself on health food, your tastes start changing. It takes time. I wouldn't pretend that it all happens instantly. And I won't pretend that junk food won't give you a good feeling. I remember when I had first started eating healthfully. I went to school where everything was healthy. So healthy that it was completely new to me. So for three months, I had only healthy food. And at the end of that three months, I went back to my parents' house. And my mom took me shopping and said, go get whatever you want. I know you haven't had real food in a long time. And believe me, I did. I loaded up and I ate all these favorite foods. And the next morning when I woke up, bleh, I felt so gross. And that was to me an eye-opener. The next time that I came back home, I ate differently. Because I had discovered what health felt like. It had been an unconscious change. Slowly, I had changed into a person who felt much cleaner, much happier. My, my complexion had cleared up. I started feeling so much better. My mind was clearer. And I didn't realize it until I went back and ate all the garbage and contrasted the two feelings. As we're changed by beholding, it doesn't mean that we won't be attracted by the world's temptations. I won't, I won't say to you, if you're just holy enough, you'll never be tempted to lust. I don't think that's the way that the Bible paints things. But it does say very plainly that as we give ourselves to God, he cures us slowly of that temptation to where sin doesn't as appear as attractive. The more we behold holiness and see what God's love is like, the more you see what sex is meant to be and go, wow, Lord, cleanse me of all this dirt and filth that I had in my mind before. Make me into a holy person. Then when you go back and you see something that might not have even offended you a few weeks before, and you see something maybe on TV or whatever, you're like, that's disgusting. How can they do that? Don't they realize how cheapening it is to refer to them that, themselves that way or whatever it is? You see what I mean? By beholding, you will become changed. It's a process. When you eat junk food for your brain, don't think it doesn't defile you. I used to read novels. I would stay up until 2 or 3 in the morning sometimes when I had to go to school the next morning. One more chapter, just one more chapter. Right, go back and read the same dirty scene over and over and over. None of you have ever done that, I'm sure, but <clears throat> call me dirty-minded. I was. And when I got rid of all those books, I had a thirst for those things because I hadn't yet come to Christ. But over time, I started realizing, I don't want to have that with my husband. I don't want to have this purely passion-driven relationship and you know how it is often in the movies and novels and all that, they fight each other, they're so angry and they have this terrible relationship, lots of conflict, then they fling themselves into each other's arms and the passion is just uncontrollable. Come on, in real life you call that hell. It's awful, you don't wanna do that. And it may work when you're dating, you can stay together through thick and thin because of the passion. But in real life, it will make you fall apart. That's not God's plan. We're changed by beholding. By beholding magazines, by beholding movies, by beholding novels, by beholding music, 
Don't think that the stuff you listen to doesn't affect you. Not even just the words. The words can be pretty bad, but some music, you know, I'll listen to the music and I just feel in myself, you know, it's like if I close my eyes, I can see the flashing lights of the disco, you know what I mean? Some music makes you want to move in a sexual way. And there are so many people who have done things that they would never have done, made mistakes they can never change because they were listening to the wrong music. Daydreaming, this is something that is almost not even mentioned anymore in our society. What's wrong with daydreaming? At least you weren't doing anything to anybody, right? But what we think about becomes who we are, right? My husband's going to be dealing with this in our third seminar when he talks about as, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you have a problem with daydreaming, don't think that you can overcome it on your own just by, I'm not going to do it anymore. You've got to find a way to let Christ be the one who satisfies your longings. And then those temptations, while they may still come, will not be overwhelming. Conversations dwelling on impurity. You know, I look back and it's amazing to me the stuff that I talked about with my friends. I remember having conversations in high school. One of the girls who had had sex and, you know, the other girl and I that hadn't were like, oh, you know, which one of us is going to ask first? What do you do? What's it like? Here's this girl who has thrown away her virginity. And we're glorifying it like this is a wonderful thing. She can never get back what she's given away carelessly. How sad. How tragic. And yet we're all thrilled to get the gory details of what you do. So when we get ourselves into trouble, I don't know if you can see very well here, this guy is totally stuck in the mud. Easy in, easy out. It's going to be a process. When you decide you're going to give your whole mind and heart to Christ, don't expect it to be an easy battle because the devil is going to do everything within his power to keep you from finding out what purity is really like. Realize it's kind of like putting dye into a glass of water. When you put impurity into purity, you can't get it back out. It's easy to drip it in, not so easy to get rid of it. Your mind is like that glass of pure water. And God wants you to have a pure vision of what sex is intended to be. But the world has poisoned us with its plans, its goals, and you can't just magically erase it. God himself doesn't just magically erase it. But what does he do? As we behold him, he pours in the pure water of his word. He pours in the influence of his spirit and waters down those influences in our minds until the things that were natural for us be before become foreign to us. You see what I mean? God wants to make sex into something that when it comes into your mind, you think purity. You think, wow, that's going to be wonderful with my future spouse someday if that's how God leads. But if not, he'll have something else in mind for me. He'll have this wonderful relationship with him in which he is my great lover. He is the one who satisfies my soul. Our world tells us that you have to have sex. Just this week I had somebody telling me he was uh, upset about the seminar we're going to be doing next presentation about homosexuality. And he, he was a practicing homosexual, so he said... You know, if, if somebody's no longer homosexual and they used to be, it's only because they're either becoming heteroerotic, and that's supposed to be such a wonderful thing, or they've become asexual. If they're engaging in heteroerotic activities, then you say, hooray, they've found victory, but they're still homosexual. Or they've just become asexual. And I said to him, you know, God has, believe it or not, given people the ability to be neither heteroerotic nor asexual. 
God has made us sexual beings, but we don't have to be engaged in heteroerotic activities all the time or else we have this terrible life. Think about it. Back in the time when Jesus was walking around on the earth, how many people were actually allowed to have sex? You have all the children running around who are not married yet who can't have sex. You have all the teenagers who are not married yet who can't have sex. Anybody who's widowed or whose spouse is away for a long period of time or, you know, even the people who were married, two weeks out of the month, they were not allowed to have sex. So most of the people around were not engaging in sex actively, you know, on a regular basis that week. Our, our world tells you if you're not able to have sex, you're cheated. How unfair. And that's how they, they make excuses for the homosexual agenda. Well, you're going to cheat these people out of ever being able to have sex in their whole lives? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what God said either. But what if a person doesn't get to have sex their whole lives? What if I hadn't gotten married? My life would then be empty and desolate and how terrible. And I should at least be able to go out and find somebody to have sex with, right? Because you wouldn't want me to be deprived my whole life, right? <laughs> you know, come on. Sex is just one aspect. It's not like food. You may have a hunger for it, but it's not like food. You have to have it in order to live. Our world tells you you've got to get what you need. And if you need that, then go get it from wherever you want to get it from. If your spouse is away, find someone else. You see how sinister the, the world's way of looking at it is? It may seem like it's okay at first. Well, you know, sex is good. It's something God has created. So what's wrong with thinking about it? But God wants us to come so much higher to see it's not the thing we aim for. It's something beautiful that God may give to us as a gift. Now, if you have been involved in sexual impurity, there are two kinds of cleansing that God offers to you. Now, every one of us, I think, has probably involved, been involved in sexual impurity in some way. Some people, the scars don't seem to be as bad. Other people, they battle all the time with this sense of shame. Every time they feel bad about something, they feel, God can never forgive me. God can never use someone like me. I'm so dirty. I'm so shameful. Whatever it is that you have felt, realize God gives cleansing. Justification is forgiveness. God cleanses your past. Sanctification is transformation. God cleansing your future. So for wherever you are right now, you can know God's cleansing. You can experience complete purity. No matter what you've done, no matter how many mistakes you've made, you ask for justification. You say, God, please cleanse me from the mistakes I've made in the past. Bang, he does. He washes them white as snow. When we're really sorry, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from how much in righteousness? All. Except sexual impurity, right? Because that one is just too bad. Who did Jesus have a hard time cleansing? Was it the people who had been sexually impure, the prostitutes? Or was it the proud Pharisees who felt that they were in need of nothing? They'd never committed huge sins like sexual sins. Their only sin was pride. But pride feels no need and so it closes the heart to the voice of God. Pride is a much worse sin because it makes us not feel our need of Christ, whereas a sexual sin may make us feel dirty and feel shameful. But God wants to cleanse us. Sanctification transforms your future. So at any moment, you may have both a pure past and a pure future because God will wash both of them white as snow. And then moment by moment, he'll give you the power to live a new life. Does it mean it's going to be easy? Does it mean temptation will never hit you? No. In, if you fall... The Bible says, you will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Right? 
He helps us. You've never really destroyed it permanently until you stop getting back up out of the mud. So you fall again, you get back up out of the mud. That's how God works. He keeps on pulling us through. Um, <clears throat> there is a profound difference between guilt and shame, and I think this is something that we really have to deal with in a seminar about sexuality. Guilt is a message from God. It says, you have let something come between you and me. Let go of it so we can be close again. It's as simple as that. Guilt is a beautiful thing. It feels terrible, but it's a beautiful thing. It draws you back to the heart of a God who loves you so much he can't bear to be separated from you. It's a message of hope. It says there's still hope for you. So guilt drives you to your knees, and you pray, you repent, you confess, you give yourself to Christ again. When you get up from your knees, shame will assault you. Shame is a message from Satan. It says you are bad. Not you have done something bad, but you are bad. God himself couldn't love you or forgive you. The blood of Jesus isn't enough to cover you. I've certainly experienced shame in my life. I don't know how many of you have, but I praise God that's not where he leaves us. He doesn't want us to listen to shame. Recognize it for what it is. It's a message of despair from the devil who wants to stop you from coming to Christ. Guilt and shame feel very similar but they're opposites. One is from God, one is from Satan. When you feel what feels like guilt or shame and you're not sure which one it is, ask, what is this driving me to? Is it driving me to God? Is it making me come back to him and say, Lord, please cleanse me, wash me whiter than snow? Then it's guilt. And then you give yourself to Christ, you surrender, he washes you whiter than snow, he shows you what you need to confess, he makes you pure again. And then the devil comes after you and says, wait, 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 it's not over. It's still there. Jesus can't cleanse you. Look at how bad you are. Look at what you've done. Shame, a message from the devil. Don't listen to it. Rebuke the devourer. Christ has rescued you. Do not cheapen his blood by saying the blood of Jesus isn't enough to cleanse somebody like me. Right? There are root sins and there are fruit sins. And I think this is something my husband's going to really deal with, especially in the final seminar. But I just want to touch on it. Root sins are things that drive us to fruit sins. Fruit sins are things like masturbation, often homosexual tendencies. The, these are things that even daydreaming or compulsive relationships, needing somebody to make us feel loved or worthwhile, those are fruit sins. When somebody cut down the tree in our backyard, they didn't come in, these professionals, and pick off all the leaves of the tree, right? No, they lay the ax at the root of the tree, as the Bible says, right? When you see yourself falling into sin, you can confess and say, Lord, I'm so sorry I've done this, but don't see that as the solution to everything. Let him get to the root sin. What is it that you're going to for your sense of identity and worth? Like me, I was going to feeling good about myself because I was attractive, because guys would like me if I dressed in a certain way. I had to deal with the root sin, which was that I wasn't finding my sense of identity and worth and lovability in Christ. Once I found that in him, that need for male attention melted away, and it only came back when I stopped spending time with God. So when your temptation is overwhelming you and you have the same thing coming back, hitting you over the head over and over again, search deeper. Say, Lord, show me. Your word discerns to the thoughts and motives of the heart. What are the thoughts and motives of my heart that are driving me to sexual sin or to sexual thoughts of impurity? He will set you free. That's what God does. That's what redemption is all about. It's the process of recreating in us the image of a God 
of love. God wants to set us free. Jeremiah 2.13, I'm going to close with this, says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. In our next seminar, we're going to talk about one of the broken cisterns that many people have gone to of homosexuality. And we have three friends who are going to be sharing their own testimonies of how the Lord has set them free from that sin. If you know somebody or you think someday you may want to be able to minister to someone who is battling, I encourage you to stay to listen to that seminar because there are so many people out there who need someone who is a safe person to talk to, someone who will not condemn them, who will not make jokes about them, but who will love them and accept them and bring them to Jesus. As we look at our own hearts, we realize every one of us goes to one kind of sin or another. And it doesn't really matter what your sin problem is, whether it's sexual or something else, it comes from one of these two roots. We forsake the fountain of living waters, that is, we stop letting Christ satisfy the thirst of our souls, and then inevitably we go to broken cisterns, something else that we think will satisfy us. As you break that cycle on both sides, you will find victory and freedom. You can't just say, I will never think sexual thoughts again. I'm going to get rid of my computer. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I'm going to never think these things, you know. That's great. That's important. But that's only half. That's the broken cisterns. Getting rid of your broken cisterns is great, but go back to the fountain of living water. As he satisfies your thirst, he'll help you not to have a craving, this unconquerable temptation towards sin. Because God is all about setting us free. Let's bow our heads for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who sets people free. You give beauty for ashes. Lord, I don't know what ashes are in this room, the broken dreams and the disappointed hopes of people who are here, but I pray, Lord, that you will give us both your justification, cleansing our past, and your sanctification, cleansing our future. Help us to walk in newness of life because you have promised to. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.